You know they're actually working and laboring. It's just we've been asked to do some things and all these things. And now Monday's a holiday. So even though we're ready for the concrete to be poured, we have to wait another day for the city to approve it. So just keep praying. But I promise you soon one day we shall flow again from the front. And because everything's been widened and the concrete will all be beautiful, we will flow in much more proficiently. And who knows, maybe even before 10. It's, it's a possibility. It's a, I thought this would at least stop you from flowing in at 10.10. But for some of you, it's, it is what it is. And for some of you, it's not what it's not. We, you know, we've, the month of August ended in September. And we've been doing um, stories with a purpose, parables, right? And for me, I don't know about you, but I've found that parables are far more complex than I recall. Now, I, I remember studying them in seminary and thinking, ooh, probably going to stay away from that section like the book of Revelation, right? Because it's really tough. But let's be honest. The reason why it's really tough is because it's teaching us something. And Jesus will actually say what it's going to teach us. Today we find out that parables teach us the secrets about the kingdom of heaven. So even though it might be tough to read a parable, or even though it might be tough to study the book of Revelation, right? Not Revelations, but the book of Revelation, it comes with this kind of precursor that there's a blessing. There's a reason why we're going to want to labor and kind of dig into it. And I don't know about you, but whenever something confuses me, I always flash back to music. I am someone who just loves music and listens to a lot of music. And because of that, I think about all the people who hear songs incorrectly and still sing the words out loud. Right? Let's just be honest here. Parables are a lot like this. Like you think you hear that. So then you sing that and then you're next to someone else and I'm singing and you're singing. And I'm like, what are you singing? You're like, I'm singing the song. You're like, no, I'm singing the song. So I wrote down a couple that are the world's famous, most incorrectly quoted songs. So all over this morning, we need a little laugh and I'm going to sing with them. So be ready. The first one, the number one most incorrectly recorded song comes from Elton John, a great musician, and he wrote a tribute to Who's the Boss, right? You all remember that one? Hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> you know how many people actually think that those are the actual words? Many people. That's not the words. That's a whole different song. The truth is, it's Hold Me Closer, Tiny Dancer, right? But you hear something and you think something. Hi, Kat, how are you? Welcome. <laughs> it reminds me about all these other songs that are flowing through my head, too. Do you know the Bee Gees? The Bee Gees were very instructive with songs, right? But they gave us fair warning about someone. In this case, it's actually a female who lost their hair. Bald-headed women, bald-headed women are mean. That is recorded over and over again as being truthful. Now, I don't know about you, but if you ever sang that next to me, I'd be like, dude, what are you singing? More than a woman, right? How could you miss that? Toto, finally, I'll give you this one from Toto. I know we have a lot of big Toto fans out there. They wanted to know, I guess it rains down in Africa. I guess it rains, buddy? No. I touched the rain down in Africa. It does rain down there. But my point is real simple. This week, with all the stuff I was going through, I needed some humor. I needed something to help me realize something. You might be hearing something from Scripture. You might even be saying something from Scripture. But you might be saying something that's completely wrong. And when it comes to the parables, unfortunately, a lot of people do that same thing. They hear something, they think something, and then they start teaching something. But it's not true. Is it possible, though, that a parable says something to you that it doesn't say to me but still conveys the same truth? And I would say yes. 
The cool thing about a parable is there's lots of room. There's lots of space in there for it to kind of speak to you and to speak to me. But today, after 12 days of working on just two parables, which are two sentences each, after 12 days and 15 iterations, and even changing this morning, I'm going to give to you the best that I believe the Lord has given me about two really important parables found in Matthew 13, 44, and 45. They're part of a three-part sequence that we will cover. And the reason why it's so so important is because parables are trying to speak a truth. They're trying to speak a truth about God's word. Now, it's a difficult truth to understand, so it's going to require that when you hear it, that you sit down and you work through it. Now, we're going to find that to be very true because the scripture actually records that's exactly what happened to the apostles and disciples that were with him this, this day that this happened. If you sit down with the parable, it's going to provide truth through similarity and comparisons. It's going to compare and contrast different things in your life. And then it's going to use that to help you have a life-changing opportunity to make a decision about Christ. The problem is many people still hear parables and many people, according to the scripture, will still walk away confused. Your option when you hear a parable is sit down and study it or walk away and simply be confused. And that's unfortunate because if you make note of Jesus, Jesus' teaching included almost 30 to 35% of his teaching in parables. Okay, that's a lot of it. That's one third of his teaching or more. He was a master at teaching parables. He used them in such a way that they weren't just illustrations. They were preaching. They were teaching in and of their own. They stand alone. They are deep and multi-layered. This is like the 10-layer lasagna if there ever was, spiritually speaking. You don't want to just scratch the surface of a parable. You want to dig all the way down into it. The scripture actually records about 33 different parables. Okay, so they're important for us to discover the truth. And it's important because if we honestly seek, we have one thing from scripture that holds true. If you ask, you shall Okay, so we, when we hear the parables, we want to be able to then say, okay, Lord, Spirit, I don't understand that. Please show me that. And so our mission this morning is going to be to sit with these two parables, to read them, to kind of take like an initial take on them, and then walk through using previous parables and the scripture to identify what exactly is happening. Now, in chapter 13, when it starts, it starts with Jesus waking up early in the morning and then walking towards the Sea of Galilee. He's had a rough day the day before chapter 12 ends with a group of people confronting him, asking him who his family really is. So he's looking for some solace in the morning and he's heading down to the lake and whether or not he realizes or not, the crowd's already there and already waiting for him. As Jesus comes upon the lake and realizes the crowd is already gathering, he then has to enter into a boat, go on the lake, and then begin preaching to the crowd. Now, by the way, that may not sound like something that actually can happen, but in seminary, one of my friends actually went there, and it's actually documented. There is a couple of different places in the lake of the Sea of Galilee where they've actually gone to some coves, put a small 12-foot wooden boat out in the water, and because of the natural acoustics of certain bays and uh, areas there, you could easily talk to over 5,000 people. So just that alone is interesting to think that it's morning starting off, And he's got this huge crowd gathered around him. Now, the crowd in in 12 was a bunch of people asking him to um, tell him about the kingdom of heaven. They told him not to eat on the Sabbath. And they also encouraged him to not, uh, he had done a miracle. And so they were accusing him of healing on the Sabbath as well. I would call them a bunch of nitpicking naysayers based on what scripture teaches us. So as Jesus enters into the boat and the crowd gathers, asking for miracles, asking for all this information, he begins to speak. His first of four parables is about the sower, which Josh did such a wonderful job on. 
Then he talked about the weeds, which means uh, weeds were thrown in with the uh, seeds. Then he talks about the mustard seed. And then he talks about the yeast or the unleavened bread. These first four parables are going to be spoken to the fullness of the crowd. Then the crowd is going to disperse. And as the crowd disperses and they head into this home, Jesus will speak three more parables exclusively to the disciples and those who remain. Now, that's really super important because these last three that he's going to share with them, the hidden treasure, which we'll do today, and the pearl of great price, which we'll do today, and the parable of the net, which I don't have time, but I would encourage you in your small groups maybe to pick that one up as well, are going to be spoken to those who stayed behind, right? They're going to be spoken to those whose heart is to want to hear and understand. And that's really important because if we want to understand and we stay behind, then we, like the disciples, can have this blessing. Now, let's, uh, let me have a little reading for background for this. This will help set up the passage. Let me first read Matthew 13, 11 through 17. He replied, Jesus, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And this is why I speak in parables. By the way, that also sounds like the parable of the talents for those of you studying parables. Those seeing, hi guys, those seeing, they do not see, though hearing, they do not hear or understand. For in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 6, 9. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. And you will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For the people's heart had become calloused. Now jump down to verse 16. This is really important for us here today. It says, but blessed are your eyes because they have seen and your ears because they have here. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you have seen, but did not see it and to hear what you have heard, but did not hear it. Who is he talking to right there? The disciples, right? The group that stayed behind. So what they're saying is, even though he just spoke all these parables, the disciples, the people that are walking with Jesus every day, they did not understand. So before we do anything today, I just want to clarify for us. It's okay if we don't understand a parable in the beginning. We're in good company. The guys who walked and talked and lived with Jesus every day, they heard them and they didn't understand. The only difference that's going to be between us and anyone else is, are you willing to sit with it, ask questions and dig into it? Because that's a reflection of an open heart, a heart that's soft to God's word. The scripture reminded us, if we don't, if we don't really listen and we don't really care, that's a reflection of the word calloused. And where's our only guitar player? Dan can tell you, a callous is something where multiple layers of skin build up. So for guitar players, their fingers become so calloused that they can press on the guitar strings and it doesn't hurt. Anyone else who ever tries to play a guitar, watch what happens after about two or three minutes of pushing on the strings, right? But that callus builds up on your hand, and eventually they can't feel anything. That's something we don't want. We don't want a hard heart. We don't want our ears closed, because the Bible says for some of those people, they will never understand. So without a doubt, as we begin to kind of start this morning, let me just pray. And let me pray this. Let me just pray that the Holy Spirit would allow you to hear these passages. Remember, they're only two, three sentences, very simple but they are just jam-packed with all kinds of words and thought. Let me just pray this morning that you can just clear your mind and clear your heart to hear simple truths from God. And remember, if we hear them and we're able to understand them, what's revealed in that is a secret about the kingdom of heaven that affirms and blesses a believer. 
So let me pray this morning. Father God, in the midst of all the stuff that's already happened this morning, in the midst of all the stuff that's happening in this world this morning, to calm our hearts and to clear our minds of all the things running through it, it seems almost near impossible. But Father, I would pray that right now, that your spirit would just come in and have the opportunity to just kind of clear the dry erase board of our mind, that we would in fact be able to hear these two simple parables, but yet see the amazing truths that are hid within And Father, if there's someone else that has some type of understanding or some other type of sense of uh, rendering that makes sense to them, Father, I pray that it would make sense to all of us. But I do want clarity. I do want clarity. And I do believe since you spoke 33 of them, there is consistency in all of them. And they do all say the same thing for a believer. And I pray that we can see that, reach that, and come to that conclusion this morning. May everything that we continue to say and do bring honor to and through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read this first one, okay? I'm going to read this first parable, and I want you not to take notes. I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to kind of listen for the words that jump off the page, right? And when the words jump off the page, then we'll go over kind of the words that we need to unfold and need to kind of unpack, and then we'll actually unpack it all, and we'll rebuild it with kind of a sense of direction. And just reminding you, a simile, right? We're using similes this morning. As cold as ice right? Um, Eric is as strong as a bull. That doesn't mean we're calling Eric a bovine, right? It just means that it's a simile. It's something for comparison. These are comparisons. The parable initiates with uh, heaven is like. Heaven is like, okay? That's going to be really important just to kind of unravel everything like this. Here's the first one, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, Hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. That sounds pretty simple, right? First thing, though, that you hear in that is that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Well, when I say treasure in here, a lot of us start thinking about treasure, traditional treasure, right? And why would it be hidden? Something that's hidden means that it's not in plain view. And if it's something that we have to find, what happens if people don't find it? But if we do find it, don't tell, cover it up? That seems bizarre. If I found something in someone's field, shouldn't I go tell them? And then if we do find it and we do cover it up, then we should go sell what we have to come back and kind of buy it. And then if we do buy it, we have all that we need. You see how quickly, if I just take the words kind of at face value, all of a sudden that parable just said something completely different. And this is my concern is that for a lot of us, we hear a parable and we just kind of, well, that makes sense. So I'm just going to read that into it. If that's what it's saying, then that's what it's saying. But it said, first of all, that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Well, that's a problem because something that's like treasure isn't necessarily treasure. What it's saying is like treasure. What that means, it's like something that's priceless, right? It's like something that's priceless. Like I said, if I say it's cold as ice, I'm not talking about ice. I'm talking about something that's extremely frigid. And I'm using a simile, something that's similar to it to help you see that. So when he says the kingdom of treasure is like, he's saying it's like something that's extremely precious. And why is that important? Because Robin's phone is talking to us. What is your phone saying, Robin? Okay. Message from God. 
what it's saying is if you found a pot of gold and you think it's all great and you cover it back up and do everything you can to go purchase this pot of gold in heaven you just bought concrete right because that's what it says gold is of no value in heaven that's just concrete like what's out in front of the parking lot it's it's of no value it can't be about that kind of treasure it has to be something that's like that so what's something that's like that that's priceless and i would say what he's saying to you is jesus is priceless salvation is priceless his death his burial and his resurrection should be for us the greatest treasure that the universe could ever receive. Why is that? Because it's a gift that we could never afford. When it says that it's hidden in a field, hidden in a field, well, who can find something that's hidden? It's not talking about that. Verse 38 from the previous passage, Jesus himself tells us what the field represents. The field represents the world, right? The world. Jesus is now saying, I am the treasure that's hidden in the world. In that thing, if you're looking for me and you find me, you will have found the greatest thing that the world has to offer. And that's important because you and I are also in the world. Luke 17, 20 says this. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor when people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. And that's important because then in that sense, when it says he found it and he covered it, what is he covering? He's covering us. Who could find us and who could cover us? Is it something that we can do? Is it something that we have the ability to do? I would say no. The same treasure. Jesus is the one that finds us. Jesus is the one who's actively searching for us because Jesus is ultimately the one who covers us. If someone like me found a treasure like that, my first inclination would be, it's not mine, and I found it, and I'm on someone's property. I would just go think that the obligation is to return it to the people whose property it was. Believe it or not, that's actually what they did 2,000 years ago. They didn't use banks, and if they had treasure, they often would bury it by a tree or by a rock or something of significant on their property. And then if the kingdoms change or they had an evil uh, landowner or something like that, they always would have their property stored. So when they heard this 2,000 years ago, they had to be thinking, well, if you found something on someone's land, why wouldn't you return it? Because that's not what the treasury is talking about. We're not talking about a physical treasure. We're talking about the treasure of Christ. And because it says he found the treasure of Christ, he goes and he sells all that he has. If you have come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, why would you not be willing to give everything that you have to follow him? When you realize what it is that Christ is offering you and I, He is offering us something that we could never afford. Um, Remember the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler was asked, uh, what does it take to follow you? And Jesus said, go sell everything that you have. Was that because he needed to bring the bag of money back to follow Christ? No, because after he said, sell everything you have, he said, what? Give all your money to the poor. It's not about you and I buying something. It's not about you and I being worth something. It's about with the, with the shirt on your back and the stick in your hand, you follow Christ. And if you can come into that understanding of what the treasure is in Christ and how priceless that is, then you're not only able to follow him, your goal then becomes to live a life worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are kind of interchangeable terms. They tell us something in the end. 
that someone buys this field, this someone buys the field. And remember, if the field represents the world and we're in it, who is it that can redeem or buy a field? Who is it that could buy the world? Is it us? If we sold everything we had, are we capable of doing something like that? There's only one person who's able to redeem the world. The real treasure, right? You go back to the real treasure. The real treasure already has bought and redeemed the whole world. Jesus Christ is the only one who is worthy to redeem the world. And that's why a simple verse like John 3.16 is so meaningful. God doesn't just love me and you. That's narrow. You know, we try to put God in this myopic box where he just loves me and you because me and you love him. That's not what the verse says. It says, for God so loved the world, the whole world, that he would what? That he would lever his treasure, his treasure, his son, to redeem it. Now, doesn't that make more sense? And if you look at the other parables in light of the other parables, they're all trying to convey something. What are they trying to convey? A secret about heaven. You labor your whole life seeking some time of earthly treasure. Then the Bible says, well, don't lay up for yourself where moth and rust and thieves can steal, but lay up for yourself where they cannot. There's only one thing in this life that we need to know, and that's Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, and that he is our Lord and Savior. In that, we are the benefactors of the single greatest treasure ever found. Now, when you think about that passage in light of the second passage, it just kind of naturally flows into it. And this is important because sometimes the parables don't seem like they actually mesh together. But if you think about that, so Jesus is this treasure. Jesus is the one who has redeemed us. And Jesus is the one who bought the world with his life so that we would all have a chance, equal chance at the treasure of Christ. Now we can read this next uh, parable and see what it means. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So the first things that we hear are like a merchant in search of fine pearls, not average or regular. Find, he finds, locates, he locates, he sells, and he buys. All right, you see what happens if we just stop with that kind of as an initial thought? That's kind of what we feel like it's saying. We've just changed that parable into a works mentality that we got to go, we got to do, we got to buy, and we got to sell. That's a, that's a whole different parable. Well, the phones are going bonkers today. Information coming in from all over. Please help discern if you have more parable information. Feel free to send it up here. That's definitely not what this parable is saying, right? So we need to back off it again and look at it in light of what the previous parable says and what the scripture says. Um, I always think about this Proverbs 3, 5, right? Lean not into your own understanding, right? It's not, when you read a parable, you have to get away from what makes sense to you. You got to think about what makes sense to him. He's trying to convey something to us, not, we're not trying to relate something to him. Because why? Because his ways are not our ways. They're higher and completely different. So, the first thing that we catch when we reread this is that in the first account, the kingdom of heaven was what? Like treasure. And then we found out that the treasure was actually Jesus. So the first one was about Jesus being this treasure. Now in the second one, it says the kingdom of heaven is like what? A merchant, not treasure. The pearl of great price in the second one is not the central focus, right? 
The focus of this one, the like treasure, means it's a merchant now we're looking at. The merchant is like heaven. So instantly that has to change our perspective. And the first one we found out that Jesus is the treasure. And the second one, what we're finding out is there is a merchant who can afford everything that's within the world. Who's someone that is that above all things and can afford all things and has the cattle on a thousand hills? It's about God. It's about Ava this time, right? And so watch how this switches gears on it. It says, there's this merchant. Now we can read with that. There's this merchant who is in search of pearls. God is actually in search of pearls. Now, how would it benefit God to have an earthly material made inside of a pearl that's basically an irritant? How would that small little thing benefit God at all? It says that rubies and jewels and all those things are just adornments in heaven. Is, I mean, would that make sense? Or is that too a simile saying he's looking for something of value? Now think about this. Think about sin inside a child of God. Is that not an irritant? Oh, yes, it is. And what about if you think about a sin as an irritant in us and then being covered? Remember from the first one? Covered? Covered continually as we continue to sin and continue to struggle, being covered continually inside of us. Because the reality is the merchant is in search of us. We are the pearl. We are the one that he is looking for. God is searching for you and I to have the treasure of Christ in us. And that treasure inside of us covers that sin. And it takes something that's irritant and ugly and terrible, just like it is inside of the clam that it's in or the oyster that it's in or whatever it is. And it covers it over and over and over and over again until it does not irritate its inhabitant and it becomes a thing of beauty. We are God's treasured. We are valued above any earthly commodity. Have you ever considered yourself treasure? Pastor Jeff, are you sure that's what it's saying? I am sure because Romans 5, 8 says this. God demonstrated his love for this. That while we were still sinners, what happened? The treasure died to redeem us. Why would he, if, if that's so important to God who has everything and the one thing he has is the son, why would he leverage everything for us if we weren't equally as valuable? First Peter 18 says this, For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of the life handed down from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You and I are the pearl of great price. You and I are the thing that the merchant who owns all and seeks all is looking for. He's not looking for average or blemished. He considers us fine pearls because of who is in us, his son. And that's what he sees. I think about that because, you know, when you first read that, you think, oh, he sells all the little ones, right, to buy the one big one. Right? Does that make sense to you? Kind of on first reading. He sells all the little ones because he wants the one big one. Because that's what it says. He goes and sells all. But does it say he sells all his pearls? What about the parable of the lost sheep for reckoning? What about the parable for the lost sheep? That bothers me then. Because if he goes and looks for the one lost sheep, does he sell the 99? Does he forget that he's a shepherd and the other 99 have no value to him? Or are we missing what it's saying? He's not giving up his shepherding role. 
He's not giving up on the 99. He simply wants all of his precious pearls together. So he will go search for the one. Our father is searching for us. Our father says we are more valued than any earthly commodity, jewels, diamond, gold, anything else. To him, we are heaven's treasure. That's insane. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like a lot of different things in life. But I rarely feel like someone's treasure. Maybe to my family, occasionally. Right? You might feel like treasure to them. I think a lot more times we, I think they're treasure to me. But the truth of what he's saying is that you and I represent great treasure. And he would never sell the other pearls. He's a pearl merchant. The only thing that's valuable to him is pearls. And he's looking for them and he's searching throughout. And when he finds Christ within us, the treasure of his son within us, he wants to gather those together. Why? Because in his house, there's just like three rooms. And so there's three pearls can go. And if it weren't so, I would have told you. I mean, how do we read the scripture sometimes? How do we, how do we read it void of us? My father's house, there's many rooms. And he would have it that many people would be there. Jesus died for the whole of the world. The parable we're not going to read says they cast a net. The one, that's the last one, they, uh, small group leaders, I would encourage you to do that one together. They, I kind of think the last one's about God and Jesus working together. And it says they cast a net into the ocean and they catch all fish. Then they have to go through the sorting process, which is fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how and who you are and what you've done with Christ. But what I love about that is they're trying to catch everything. A net is, doesn't matter what's swimming by. If you throw a net out in the ocean, you're going to catch what's ever out there. And what's out there? What's in the world? We are. We are the field. That's what's in the water. When you throw a net in there, that's where fish. He tells us, guys, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come on, guys, put the Bible together. Where's Josh when I need him? Put it all together. How do you do this, Josh? I'll catch up with you on that. All right. The two parables aren't just about, oh, you know, I hope that you're saved and, and you know, that's it. It's being saved is awesome. Luke 15, 10 says this. In the same way I tell you this, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who repents. That's who our father is. And that's how exciting it is. You can't hear it. But any time a decision is made, I imagine that Greg Laurie thing that it's just like a Dodger Stadium up in heaven. It just must be like, ah. oh, maybe Cardinal Stadium, Mike, every once in a while. They... And Angel Stadium at least 12 times this year it was. So. Okay, 14. But can you imagine that the angelic realm exploding with just one person making a decision to do what? To take the treasure of heaven that was given to earth that's now hid inside you that you now can become what? Heaven's treasure. We're not just thanking God for salvation. We're not just thanking Jesus for dying. It's more than that. We're declaring to the whole world a new kingdom has come. Amen? The kingdom of heaven is here and it's within me and you. We are heaven's treasure. Boy, after the week and month that I've had, that's mind blowing. It's no wonder why it kept changing and going on the paper and off the paper. Do you feel like, are you sitting here this morning? Do you feel like treasure? Do you feel like God's most valuable asset? 
Because of Christ who lives within you? Because if you don't, you're cheating yourself for, for what the secret was trying to reveal. That's the truth of the parables. If you're willing to sit and read and mine, M-I-N-E, if you're willing to mine down in them, what you will find is that he's waiting and the Spirit of God is willing to give you answers to affirm your faith, to strengthen your resolve so that you can go be and do these things. Why? Because John 15 says this, you don't choose me. I choose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit, the kind of fruit that will last. We're not just doing stuff on our own. We're not just going through the motions. We have roles to play. And when he finds us and cherishes us and purchases us and gives all he can for us, he's saying, do something with it, guys. You can't repay it, so forget about repaying, but just do something. Be that ambassador that I've encouraged you and stamped and said, you, Brad, you're an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Now live in such a way that's worthy of that. What it says is the kingdom of heaven is searching for us, not we searching for it. And I think that's really encouraging because a lot of people are like, you know, if God's real, then he'll make himself known to me. Um, by the way, the scripture says that the Lord is not going to return until everyone has what? Heard. Everyone. Now, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we would say, oh, we got plenty of time. There's a lot of people. There's no way they're ever going to hear A lot has changed with the electronic world that we live in, and it is expeditingly going faster and faster. The sand is dropping faster, people, and more and more people hear every day. And translations, and Wycliffe will tell you, they're getting closer and closer to getting it out to all of them. And when it does and that last sand grain hits, then for generation one, it's going to institute something. It's going to institute something that if you don't realize God is searching for you, it's because you heard And you didn't hear. You saw, but you didn't see. And that fulfills what? Prophecy, Isaiah 6, 9. You become calloused. It proves that God loves us way before we ever knew him. Now, that's a secret that you need to just kind of camp on every day and remind yourself just how deep a love the Father has. Matter of fact, if I told Pete, that would be great. How deep the Father's love for us. That would be a great song. Yeah, I should have. There you go. It comes to my mind now. The kingdom of heaven is the one who's paid a price for us. We don't pay a price for it. The rich young ruler doesn't go sell all he has to come join the club of Christianity. He sells all he has to give it away to the poor to come as he is with the clothes on his back and the stick on his hand. You know, there's a parable that says, don't even take two sticks. They had a regular walking stick, which was probably like a branch. And then they had a walking stick, which was fine. They would always try to inlay it with gold or jewels or pearls or whatever they could so that if they ran out of money wherever they're going, they would have something that was fine. And Jesus says, forget your second walking stick, just the stick and the clothes you have and come follow me. Right? It all comes together. So just as Jesus is the the earth's greatest treasure, we are heaven's greatest treasure. That is what God desires most is that we would come to a saving knowledge of Christ so that we could be with him. Now, the parable of the great pearl is interesting because what a lot of people don't realize is there actually is a pearl of great price. Did you know this? I'm about to show you a slide and blow your mind. About 15 years ago, a small Filipino fishing village had a gentleman who was out fishing one day. This is a true story. You can look it up. Upon seeing a storm approaching him, he tried to move his boat into a safe harbor 
and pulling upon his anchor, he hooked something with his anchor. The heavy item remained on his anchor, but enough that he was able to get his boat into the harbor. The additional weight hooked on his anchor helped secure him through the storm. How lucky he was. Upon the storm ending, he and some other people from the boat then pulled the anchor all the way up into the boat, revealing a giant clam. Now, can you please show the picture of the first one? I don't know if you've ever seen a giant clam. A giant clam is 200 to 300 pounds. It is a real thing. And that's what he hooked onto, which held him, the additional weight held his boat in the storm. As they reeled the giant clam onto the boat, the weight of the clam on the deck of the boat broke it open. Upon breaking open, the clam revealed something inside of it. What it revealed was a 75-pound Ruffles potato chip, which actually was a pearl. Now show this next picture. See the shape? That puppy was inside of it. The Filipino fisherman, a simple man, reconciled to himself that since it wasn't the traditional pearl shape, round, it could have no value. But since the giant clam saved his life in the storm, he thought, I'll take the giant pearl with me, stick it under my bed, and for luck, I'll rub my hands on it every day before I go in the ocean. He continues to work as a fisherman daily for 10 years. Upon returning home one day, he notices all the town around his house and that his little fishing house is on fire. Remember, he'd been rubbing his hands on this pearl for 10 years for good luck at sea, but now his house was on fire. As the house burned to the ground, the fire proved one thing. Only one thing survived the Filipino fireman's house fire, a large white bump. Turns out that the layers of the pearl allowed it to survive the very fire, thus exposing it to all the fishermen and the people of the village, who then began to scream at him, you have to go show that to the government. You have to go contact someone. With no other recourse, he did. Begrudgingly, he settled with the Filipino government on an undisclosed amount. Then noticing the Filipino government had placed it not only on display, but considered it a national treasure. With the price tag underneath it, world's largest pearl estimated 80 to 100 million dollars. The Filipino fireman lives happily today on his settlement. Now, I don't know what he settled for, but 100,000, 200,000, 500,000, whatever he settled for had nothing to do with the actual value of what he had found. And the fact that he was willing to go back to sea day after day and risk his life means he truly did not understand that the pearl of great price was everything he ever needed. But he did not understand, and I can't help but think this morning, how many of us have the word of God near us, under our bed, in our house, on a nightstand, in our phone, around us, and occasionally we'll rub our hands over it and we'll pray, God, help me today, or help me with my taxes, or help me with this test. And we use the word of God in the same capacity, thinking that it's just this little trinket of hope not understanding the true value. He never had to work another day in his life. He would have everything that he and generations of his family would need, but he never saw it. And now it's in a case for the whole world to see and for him to be disassociated with. 
The truth is, guys, that one day our life, like that fisherman's house, will be tested by fire. And one day everything in your house, according to Scripture, will be burnt to the ground. And all that remain must be pure. It must be of God. And so my encouragement for you this morning is, if there's one thing the parables have made clear to us, is Jesus has given us access to everything we will ever need when it comes to life. If you continue to just hear the word of God and not act upon it, then you, by default, are listening and not hearing. You are seeing and not perceiving because you are an owner of not just a pearl of great price. You are an owner of something even more valuable. Bye, Val. You are an owner of something even more valuable than the pearl. The treasure of Jesus Christ is priceless. And it is the greatest treasure on the earth that we live in. If you have not taken his death, burial, and resurrection as your own, then you stand here today making considerations for chasing earthly treasure. Parables not just reveal truth. Parables don't just reveal secrets. Then they ask you, what are you going to do with it? Now that you know, now that you understand, what will you do? Because to follow Christ means that you have to be willing to part with everything. Right? Everything to follow him. And whatever stands in opposition to that, whatever is in competition for his love or your ability to serve him, you have to be willing to let it go. Because you are, by default, an owner of the greatest asset the world has ever known. You don't need anything else. You have all you need in Christ. Now, this morning, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I just want to take a moment to just remind you, if you have not made that decision to see Christ for the true value he is, then this morning, would you either pray where you are, come up and pray with us, however you need to do it. But would you make a clear choice, a clear decision? Today, as you live and breathe, you still have that option. For it has been assigned to a man once to be born and once to die. So everyone will have to come to that conclusion one day. What have I done with the treasure of Christ? And I pray that today that not only have you made peace with it, but you have the ability to share that truth with those around you. If Jesus is not your treasure, I ask what is and why. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for the opportunity that parables present in the sense that we just there's so much we don't know. There's so much we could know. But rather than all that, Father, I pray that what we do know is sufficient. The thief on the cross, he could have known a lot of things. He could have known nothing. But at the moment, he knew that he was hanging next to Jesus. He knew that he needed to make a decision. He wasn't able to be baptized. He wasn't able to live a life that was amazing. He wasn't able to do anything. He simply just came to that conclusion while he was still alive that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God. And every person must make a decision. For there is only one sin which remains unforgivable. To refute or to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which peckens every human being. Please make consideration of Jesus and just how much the Father loves you. And the price that has been paid for your freedom. Father, there's anyone listening this morning or as the... CDs go out or as anything happens, Father, I pray that for someone to hear this and realize just how valuable are the pearl of great price is us. To Jesus, to God, we are the treasure. 
May we live in such a way, Father, that represents everything that you have given us. And may we continue to return to your scripture, to your word, to the very life that Jesus lived for its affirmation and strength that we might persevere in this life that lies ahead of us. Be with this church. Be with the leadership. Be with all of us, Father, as we choose this day who we will serve. And as for me and my house, Father, this lighthouse community house, we will serve the Lord. I pray that you bless that and keep that in your hands. Amen.